Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Guys, I'm so excited about this new sermon series that we are jumping into. We're calling it Seek First. It is because uh, we really want to help partner with you in this 2019 for all of us as a community to seek what really matters. And I often know in my life, I begin the year with great desires and dreams for this year to be different, and then a couple weeks into it, it feels like the same uh, experience, same life, just a couple more gray hairs and uh, these little bags inflating a little bit more. Uh, I want a different kind of year. I want, a, I want a, a different kind of year, and we really believe that if we seek the right things, if we seek certain things first, that we will experience a better year. So this week we're going to talk about seeking Christ. What does it mean to seek Christ in this year? This is a picture of my family right over here. Uh, we have three kids, all low pigmentation kids with very blonde hair. It's interesting watching them grow up. I still don't feel like I'm old enough to be a dad, which is so funny. Uh, but I, as watching them grow up, which is one of the things I've really wondered is the power of birth order. Do you guys ever think about that? Like, how powerful is it to have a firstborn, to have that type of personality, secondborn, whatever else? Uh, you know, so, so typically a firstborn is like more type A, more detailed. How many firstborns are here? Yeah. Yeah, you guys are probably the ones that are here earlier than the rest of us. Type A, kind of, uh, you're very detail-oriented, also known as controlling. Uh, and I've wondered that with, even with our own family of like, are we living into this? Like Dylan, our firstborn, are we like, are we allowing this to happen? And the answer is absolutely. Before Dylan could even speak, she had such control over Jen and I, and it's not changed. Like, for example, bedtime routine. Do you mind if I share a little bit about that? So our bedtime routine is such that like, Dylan cannot brush her teeth until her hair is brushed. And there's like a whole sequence of like 20 minutes before that, that has to go in the right order. And she can't like be in her bed until a book has been read. She, she has to have the perfect sleeping environment, which includes fans. You know, there's certain doors that are cracked, doors closed, uh, temperature has to be right, a ladybug with like stars blowing up her, you know, her roof. It's just crazy. And all of this, like, I have to lay in bed, say a certain prayer, answer about 20 questions, convince her that she's not hungry, talk her down from the nightmares she's not yet had, you know, all of this. And then eventually, maybe she'll let me leave her room. Maybe. Do you know what, how like our second two kids go to sleep? Like, I'm really asking. I don't know. I'm not a part of it. Like, I think they're like feral cats. They like find like dirty clothes and like ball it up to make a pillow somewhere in some dark corner of our home. I really think that like order matters. Order matters in our life. And I really think that order matters uh, in our spiritual life. I think order deeply matters in our spiritual life. It's powerful. What you place first in your life has power. One of my favorite voices in the early Christian tradition is this man named Augustine. He was born around uh, 350 in Algeria. Um, this is Augustine. He was really smart, which is why he's... And I love this picture of this baby. Look at that baby with like a wooden spoon. That's not the firstborn. That's the secondborn saying, all right, so where's the food? I got to cook for myself around here. 
Uh, he, was, uh, he was known for being an intellectual. Um, he was this wicked smart person, but he was also known for being very, very like wicked uh, in the world. He wrote, about, he wrote extensively, extensively about his huge love for food and for sex and for beauty, nothing that Austinites can relate to at all. But he's a man who chased after everything the world had to offer until finally had this encounter of God's grace when he was at the age of 31. And reflecting on this encounter, he wrote this beautiful prayer. If I can read, I just love the beauty of this prayer, this poetic prayer that he said of this encounter. He said, Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient, so new. Late have I loved you. Lo, you're within, but I outside seeking there for you. Upon the shapely things that you've made. I rest headlong. I misshapen. You were with me, but I was not with you. They held me back uh, far from you. Those things which would have no being were they not in you. You called, shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance. I gasp. And now I pant for you. I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. On your exceedingly great mercy, and on that alone rests all of my hope. This is a conversion experience of someone, and what we notice in this prayer to God about this encounter, you sense the reordering? Chasing the wrong things, pursuing the wrong things, and lo, there was God. And he realized that through all this chasing, that the same God that was within holds all his peace. It's there. This is really informative for us. One of the, the great, greatest, most helpful gifts that Augustine provided for me is the way he spoke of sin around this idea. Because for me, when I grew up in, uh, in church, I grew up in a church culture, we talked a lot about sin. We don't talk much about sin in our culture today. But I grew up in a church where we talked a lot about sin, and it was like, it was disobedience, it was, I deserved death because of it, it was, I was selfish, it was selfish, and, and all of that in part is true, for sure, but uh, it's, some ways, not, it's not that helpful, because it's just this list of don'ts, and this, for me, it just built out a lot of guilt and shame. Uh, Augustine talked about sin differently. This is how he talked about it. He spoke of sin as disordered loves. So Augustine taught that we are most fundamentally shaped not as much by what we believe or what we think or what even what we do, but we are shaped by what we love. This is what he wrote. For when we ask whether someone is somebody is a good person, we're not asking what he believes or hopes for, but what he loves. And just as the heart was made to love, there is an order in which we love. There's a way, there's an order in which what gets our first love and what doesn't. And what, one of the things I just deeply believe is when we love the thing that matters must, most, not only will our lives flourish, but others will flourish as well. And our hearts were made to love God, to know God. Tim, Gell, Tim Keller was a pastor in New York City. He spoke of this idea of Disordered loves by saying this. He said, Disordered loves always leads to misery and breakdown. 
When your loves are not in the right order, it's going to end up with misery and breakdown. The only way to reorder our loves is to love God supremely or to seek Christ first. So as an example, consider a parent and a child. Uh, So like, what would happen if a parent loved their child supremely? There's the first love, which many of us believe that it's it's our job to do. Well, what happens is when we love our, our child supremely, it's our first love, the first thing we are, are devoted to, then there's no greater force in that child's life than the disordered love of their parent. If the parent has their whole life built upon their child, what happens when that child runs? What happens when that child disappoints? And as a parent, what happens when you put your child at the first and foremost, you have a tendency to drive that child, push that child, maybe even form that child into the thing that can hold their first love. I heard someone say once in a documentary that there's no greater force in a child's life than the unlived life of their parent. You just, oh, you push them. You will be a doctor. You will be a screenwriter. You will be successful. Why? Because I've built my life upon this. And we see, as Tim Keller said it can lead to breakdown, it can lead to misery. The same thing goes for other disordered loves, your promotion, your marriage, your longing for a marriage, getting into that perfect college, whatever it might be. There's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with these loves. But they weren't meant to bear the weight of being your first love. Because, let's just think about this, if, if your marriage was the source of your life, what happens when your spouse disappoints? What happens when you don't meet the right person? When you want that promotion and that's your first love, that's really what you're going after, then you start seeing other people around you as competition. Competition to destroy, to beat out, breakdown, misery. So this is so important for us because if we want to experience a breakthrough in our life, to experience deeper purpose and deeper joy, we must have a reordering We must have to reorder our days, reorder our affections, reorder our loyalty and our priorities. Because I wonder, like, I wonder what's held us back in our past from having a breakthrough year, the year that we really long for. I wonder what's held us back is is not so much that we have loved the wrong things, but we have loved them in the wrong order. God wants to be first in our life. God wants us to be first in our life, not because he's a greedy God, but he knows that this is how we were created. This is how life was created, that we were created to have a deep and abiding longing, a first love for God, a vibrant connection to God. The psalmist said this in Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I don't believe that psalmist, the person who wrote that psalm, their experience was unique. I think the reason why this is holy and sacred text is it's speaking about all of us. We were created thirsty people, hungry people. And the question is, where do we turn? What gets first? What gets first in our life? In Matthew 6, Jesus was talking to his followers, 
And he was talking about their stress and anxiety. And we have a lot of stress and anxiety in our community, in our culture, in our lives. And you could even say that maybe some of the stress and anxiety is fruits of disordered loves. They're fruits of disordered loves. When we have chased after the wrong thing, it just oftentimes leads to a lot of stress and anxiety, a lot of breakdown. And Jesus said, don't worry about what you will wear. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. They can't add one minute to your life. And then Jesus goes on to say, let the, let, let the rest of the world chase after these, those things. Not so with you. In verse 33 of Matthew 6. But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let the first thing you seek is God's kingdom, is God's right, righteousness. Another way to say it is God's right ordering. Seek after that, that right order, and all the things your soul longs for will be found. This is saying, Jesus is saying that our order in our life, it matters. It matters in God's kingdom. That food and clothing provision, they're all part of, of living in God's kingdom. But man, they are awful saviors. They're awful first loves. They can't bear the weight of your soul. Only God can. So for us to have a different year, we must learn to seek Christ first. So I'm about to extend some invitations on maybe how we do that together as a community and how we practically can live this out. But before I, before I do that, I want to just point out something to make sure it's, this fundamental truth is known. Before we seek Christ, Christ has already sought you. Like before we try and achieve and get there and before we try to find God, you just, you just need to know that God has found you. Just as, as, just as Augustine declared, though I was not with you, you're with me. You are with me. It is the case with all of us. Before you believe in Christ, Christ believes in you. Like he, he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. Before we love him, we are already beloved. Before we find Jesus, he has found us. Before, before we learn to listen to God, he has heard every prayer that you have ever prayed so that everything, and I emphasize everything in the Christian life, is based on this. It's, the Christian life is a life of response to God, what God has already done. And because we've already been found, already been loved, but already been heard, we have been set free from the falsehood that we deserve a single thing from God. It's already given. It frees us from this falsehood that we have to earn it, we have to prove it, we have to acquire it. We are now free to respond in the posture of gratitude of God who's already given so freely. And we respond in gratitude and we seek God first. And one of the ways we seek God first is we reorder our life. We change the orders of our life. So I saw another church and our denomination, our, our, our network, talk about rhythms and following Christ. I found it really helpful. So I'm going to give some practical invitations for you. And uh, I don't want to come across as hyper-legalistic, but I just want to give you some invitations. Some of us are going to do some of these things, and feel free to pick and choose where you feel like God's inviting you to. Uh, but for us, we're going to seek Christ in the first of our day. Again, I don't want to be legalistic about when we can meet with God. We can meet with God at all of our days. But it's really good, I think, for us to think about how we begin our days. It's deeply powerful how we start our days. Uh, most Americans have something in common. 
in how they start their day. Any guess? Busyness? Coffee? I would love that. Hold a second. I'm going to get this. Your phone. This is the most common thing that many of us do in how we start our day. Here's a little survey done in 2016 from Deloitte. They found that 61% of people check their phones within five minutes of waking up. This number goes up to 88% for those within 30 minutes. In another study, 46% of Americans admit to checking their phones before they get out of bed. So before, before their feet even hit the ground, they're already on their phone. And for millennials, this goes up to 66%. So uh, two-thirds of millennials are on their phone before their feet are, on, are touching the floor. Half of Americans are the same. And I'm, I might be guilty of that sometimes. And I don't want to shame you in that, uh, but I have also thought in my own life, there might be no worse way to start your day. Because, like, I'm, what's setting the tone of my day? Somebody's Twitter account? Whatever, whatever the news cycle's picked up? Whatever, like, fun thing I saw all my friends do without me last night, that was cool. I was free. <laughs> Dylan, Dylan let me, she, let, she released me from her room at 8.30. <laughs> and there's like, there's, like, maybe no worse way to start my day. Because I'm responding to the tone, to, to whatever the world has chosen for me, how to start my day. And how different would my life be if the tone and the rhythm of my day was based on prayer, stillness, meditation on God's Word, how different would it be for us? I even heard someone in our church who happens to be a millennial uh, who said they, they don't allow their phone in their bedroom. What an awesome practice. What, a, what an awesome commitment. It should not be surprising that the hero of our, our faith story together lived into this. Jesus, he, he was known himself for having a rhythm of the first of the day seeking God. Mark was one of his followers, his disciples, and he wrote a gospel sharing his memories of Jesus. And notice one of the first memories he had of Jesus. This is in Mark 1.35. Mark remembers seeing Jesus do this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark was watching Jesus live his life, and he saw that Jesus sought God first. That's how, that's how the author of our faith started his days. And if Jesus needed this, how much more would we benefit from this practice? So my invitation is for us as a community, let's seek Christ first in our day. But also, let's seek Christ in the first of our week. For the Christian tradition... Uh, Sunday is known as the first day of the week. It, many traditions, it's the last day. You would think, if you read the, through the Genesis creation account, the Sabbath, the rest is on the final day, the seventh day. But when Easter happened, it was this resetting of routine, of a rhythm. And all of a sudden, things were made new. And Sunday was considered the first day of the week. So just like we begin our day, how that's important, it's also important how we start our week. So on Sundays, we gather in worship because what we do in worship, it deeply matters. It's in this place that we gather our prayers, we experience the sacraments, we get to, to worship the God who is worthy, we get to experience this community, we get to hear the spoken word, and we remember who God is. And how would it change our lives if we started to see that worship 
It's not merely what we did, it was this, like, this rhythm or routine, but it's also the place where our thirsty souls can only meet with God in this unique place. Our th- souls can meet with God wherever, but is, there's something special as gathering as God's people in doing this. So I want to give a loving challenge to us as a community uh, that we need to get better at worshiping together. We need to get better at gathering together as God's people. And I say this out of care. I don't, I'm not saying this as something that the church needs, but I really believe this is something that we need. We need this space. We need this time. I really see worship and what we do in this hour and a half is just sacred food that fuels what we do in this world. We gather and worship not to get out of this world, but it's in this place we remember who we are, we remember why we are here, and we go out into this community fed and nourished and remembering our purpose in this place, recharged to, to extend God's grace and mercy. This was a letter written to a church in, uh, um, in early experience of, of Jesus' time. In Hebrews 10.25, it says this, Let us not give up in meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together, Vine community. Let's not do that. Let's come together, not only for our own need, but for the sake of encouraging one another. One of the things I hear people, I was even having a lunch with someone recently, and they, they were bragging about you as a community, and they were, one of the things they said was, this, this church seems really warm and kind and welcoming. And I, that's more than just a compliment to me. That's the body of Christ. That's okay. This is, this is good. This is who we are. That's the body of Christ at work. So we, we need this in our expression of what we do in the beginning of the week. So I'd encourage you in this year to make worship a priority for this coming year. To make, seek Jesus in the first year week. So we seek Jesus in the first day the first of the week, but also we want to see Christ in the first of the month. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, they often talked about first fruits, about instead of giving God your scraps and your leftovers, bring to God the best you have. And so for many of us, what we have, uh, the best that we have, the, our earthly treasures here is given to us in the first of the month. Uh, how would it look differently if we made a point to live in generosity, not giving God our leftovers, but intentionally to give God our resources, our time, our abilities, and our finances at the first of the month or whenever we are paid. Uh, God, uh, G- Jesus often talked about money. This is not because God needs a bailout. I think it's because that Jesus saw the power that money had to provoke disordered loves. Money's powerful to to change our affections, to change our priorities, to change our loves. And so I loved one of the ways that Jesus talked about this. This is Matthew 6, 19 and 21. Jesus was speaking to his followers. He said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth but where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. The most important line for me in this whole uh, section is this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your first love is, for wherever your first love, there your heart will also be. I think Jesus is is sharing a loving word here. He was giving a word of caution. 
to say, make sure that you're treasuring the right thing because there's your heart. There's, there's your first love. And don't trust your heart to places that will fail you. Like, don't put your heart, don't put your first love in somewhere that's flimsy, that's weak for you. Treasure Jesus, treasure God's kingdom first and foremost because there's no safer place to put your love, no safer place to put your, to put your heart than right there. We are called to live lives of generosity because it reorders our love. Uh, a little personal confession. Jen and I, uh, last year, we decided to give by writing monthly checks in our, in our own uh, tithe, and uh, we neglected to do so for like half the year. And so December was the reconciling month for us. And so we looked at it, we did, you know, we did the Aggie math. It took a while. I got the TI-83 out. Uh, and uh, we figured it out, and we wrote the check. And I mean, and I know, like, if your pastor is doing this, I know that you all are experiencing this too, but we wrote that check, and we were like, whew, we have other needs in our life. How about that vacation sounds nice? Like that, that new piece of furniture or whatever else, it would be nice to have that, and here is this. And, uh, and again, I know if, like, if the pastor is struggling with this, I know like, this is just natural for us. And, but Jen and I got to, to see that check, and we got to pray over it. Uh, and we got to say, God, we treasure you. We treasure your kingdom. We love what you're doing in this church. And what I was processing afterwards, that prayer that, that we had, was that little sting, that was the sting of reordering. Like, that was the, oh, yeah. Like, there is something more important to us than that. And that reordering... That was us putting our treasure in a safer place to reorder our love, to seek his kingdom, to support things that are eternally significant. We do that when we receive Christ in the first of our month. But we're also going to seek Christ, invite you to seek Christ in the first of the year. It's a deeply held belief of mine that a little bit of an intentionality can make the biggest difference. I really believe that life bends towards intentionality. Some of the biggest changes in my life, it wasn't because I had grand plans and the expected outcome. I just had a little bit of a change, a little bit of intention, and the gumption to see it through, and all of a sudden life opened up. And so for us, how do we begin this year with a little bit of intentionality and the gumption to see it through? When it comes to our year, how can we start differently? So for many of you, you've already made resolutions. Maybe of you have already broken them. Who cares? Make them anew, right? Start anew. For some of us, uh, we are planning on reordering our life around what's most important. So I have some personal things that I know I want to change, and I'm excited about tomorrow is, is when I'm starting that up. Uh, but there are also some cum communal pra practices that, that our leadership that we want to invite you into experiencing for us together. One of those things is we're going to invite you all to join us in a fast. Now, I know for many people, fast is like this super religious, weird thing that only like people in robes should do. Uh, and for other people, it's like a cheat to like lose weight and feel spiritual at the same time. Neither of those things are what we're hoping to do. Uh, but what we're hoping to do with the fast is a reordering. It's, it's using our, our, our bodies to remind us of what's most important. It's a physical reminder of prayer. It's to say, it's to say as this tinge of hunger happens in, in our life, to say, oh yeah, there's something else that, that I need. Just as the psalmist said, that my soul thirsts and hungers for you. 
And I will not forget lunch, but I will forget my hunger of God for maybe for the whole day. Think, oh yeah, I forget my, my soul needs you, Lord. A man does not live on bread alone. A woman does not live on bread alone, but on God's word. So as a church, we're inviting you to join us. Many of us have already signed up for this, but we're going to fast from lunches Monday through Friday. We're going to fast from lunches, and, and, and in its place, we're going to seek God during that lunch hour. So we're going to have a prayer meditation. It will be uh, texted to you at 11 a.m. on your phone. You'll get that as a reminder. And so you can carve out time where you would usually have lunch, that you carve out time and pray see Christ, to turn your affections towards God. And so if you want to be a part of this, what you will do is you'll text the word, seek first one word, seek first to the number 97,000. Feel free to get your phone out now, no shame. It is church, but no shame here, no guilt. Uh, feel, feel free to pull out your phone and text the word, seek first to 97,000. What you'll do, you'll get, uh, you'll get the, uh, the text every day. Even if you're just curious, that's fine. Uh, just go ahead and text that. You'll just be able to see what we're doing as a community. You'll get the five devotionals, 11 a.m., Monday through Friday. And then on Friday night, we're going to gather and worship. And I'm really excited about this. We're going to hang out and spend time together in worship. Most people, they've never worshiped outside of church, even though church is a gym or a auditorium here at a middle school. Uh, we're going to take our worship, and we're going to have it in a home. We're going to gather and worship at, at Jack and Liza's home this Friday night from 7.30 to 8.30 and I promise, I know for many of you, you're afraid it's going to get weird. Someone said, are you going to make me pray to groups of three? Because I really won't show up if I know that's happening. <laughs> Turn to groups of three and share your heart. Okay, I'm not showing up. Uh, so I promise it's not going to we get weird. We're going to take what we do in worship, what we do with our prayers, and we're going to drop it in to their home. We're going to hang out. We're going to get to know each other as well. So that's this Friday from 7.30 to 8.30. We're going to seek Christ beginning of this year, the first of this year, because we want to experience something different as a community.